Hey there and welcome to the Duncan Pentecostal Church podcast streaming from Vancouver Island here in Canada and however you have found our podcast we're so glad you're here before we jump into today's message just a couple things want to let you know if you go to our website www.duncanchurch.com you're going to find a couple easy ways where you can connect with us we have an online connect card you can fill out maybe let us know where you're listening from and check off the option to receive our what's happening email we send this out once a week it's a great way to stay connected with everything that's going on here at the church and even online. Apart from that, there is a give button. So if you're feeling led, you can do that right online through our website. You can also find us on Facebook and YouTube. We are so glad you're tuning in and we are believing that God's going to do something special in you through today's message. Enjoy. You know, our desire for the military is to see the Canadian Armed Forces members and their family pursue God's will for their lives. And so what does it mean to pursue God's will for your life? Jesus was asked in Matthew chapter 23, what is the greatest commandment? And he said, you shall love your Lord, the Lord your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he said, the second is this that you love your neighbor as yourself. So God says you have to love your God with all your heart, all your strength, all your soul, all your mind. And because of this, you can love others. But I feel like now sometimes we live in a world that thinks you can love others without loving God, but that's impossible. Our love for God is the foundation that allows us to indicate and indicates how we ought to love others. And so pray for our military for members to receive what God has to offer. And you know, it's a real privilege that our family gets to be a part of the process in these young men's and women serving our country. A lot of time I go through a situation and I don't know how to handle or what to say or I like the wisdom. But like uh, Connor mentioned this morning, when, when we pray and when we give it to God, I have found that God gives us the wisdom to say the right thing and to be at the right place at the right time. Imagine that you have to announce to a mother that her son has died in service or announce a wife that her husband died this day or a teenage boy that his dad died today in service to his country. What do you say? How do you do that? Soaked in with the love and care of Jesus. And I think as the chaplain, I consider it a privilege but also an important responsibility to bring the presence of Christ in these very surreal life moments. And so I'll invite you to commit to pray for the Canadian Armed Forces, that the military needs a strong spiritual anchor, need to return to some strong biblical values and have a moral compass that guides the defense of our country and our values. And also, if you remember, pray for our family as we settle in in the valley and... um, Learn to work in the, in, in the ba- on the base, in, um, on, the, on the Air Force base, as going, going from the, the Army to the Air Force now. And the verse that's on my mind since I joined the military now almost five years ago is Matthew 10, when Jesus says, Behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove. What a good encouragement.
And so this morning, I'd like to share the word. We'll be uh, preaching out of Philippians chapter 2. And I took one of the Bible in the pew, page 980, if you're using the ESV version. There's a few things that I found out after I joined the military that maybe it would have been good to know before. Like, if you want to be in the military, it's probably best that you like following rules. And I found out I don't like following rules. <laughs> I guess my struggle is not with following rules, but it's with blindly following rules. I like to understand the spirit of the rule. Why am I being asked to follow this rule? And, and it's not only about the military. It's also way before the military. Uh, t- let's take milk, for example. Right? There's an expiry date. But it's, it's not actually an expiry date. It's a best before date. My brother, three days before the best before date has arrived, he's already pouring the milk down the drain. For me, seven days after the best before date has happened, I do the nose test. And if it smells fine, it tastes fine, it's safe, it's good, right? And so there's, this is how I approach it. It's a best before. It doesn't mean that it's expired. It's best. And... Um, I remember going to a youth retreat when I was a teenager. My mom sent me with a box of cereal because just granola bars was not quite enough for a growing young man. So I'm at this youth retreat and I'm snacking on my cereal box like you would do chips. And I'm a generous guy. Someone asked me, can I have some? I'm like, sure, I'll share my cereals with you. And so he tastes one and he's like, something's just off with this. And he looks on the box and he's like, oh my gosh, This expired four years ago. (laughs) You're trying to kill me. And I'm like, first of all, it's not expired. It's best before. I agree with you. It's past its prime. But as far as trying to kill you, don't worry. I've been snacking on these all weekend and I'm fine. You'll be fine. I'm not trying to kill you. This is not poisonous. So while my dried cereals are not poisonous, there are poisonous mentality in this world that are very deadly and that we should avoid. And this is a little bit of what Paul talks in Philippians chapter 2, verse 1 to 13. So join me in. Do you guys usually stand when you read the, the Bible? or No, okay, you stay, you stay seated. Enjoy your seat. Let me read for you. Philippians chapter 2, one, verse 1 to 13. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of, and of one mind. Do nothing, Paul says, verse 3, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Verse 9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
Verse 12, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. The word of the Lord. The title of the message this morning is Three Poisonous Mentalities to Avoid. The Bible exhorts us to, be, to pursue a submissive humility. And I know some of you got triggered right there because I said submissive and I said humility. Let me explain what I mean by submissive humility. I'm talking about a submissive humility that produces genuine joy, love, gratefulness, and purpose. And by submission, what I mean here is not a blank slate to do what other people want you to do, but it is a commitment to pursue what is best for others before even considering yourself. As you'll see, submissive, submissiveness and humility go together. You cannot have one without the other. And so Philippians 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 1 to 13, contains three selfish, poisonous mentality to avoid that we'll go through this morning. The first one is putting yourself first. The second poisonous mentality is pride disguised as humility. And the third one is fearing what men can do. And so putting yourself first. Our world now has this uh, mentality of self-care. Don't get me wrong, I love the idea of self-care. My favorite self-care period is this Christmas break. In the military, we're extremely blessed to enjoy almost four weeks of Christmas break and um, it's it's great you get to spend lots of time with family you play games until the family starts to break out into some kind of feud <laughs> you eat so much food until you're feeling sick and um, and then you do other things that serve very little purpose you watch netflix until 12 30 at night you go to bed way too late you get up way too late and, and it, you know it's it's wonderful and at the end of all this, you think you should be rejuvenated, you know, what's the word? Rejuvenated. Rejuvenated. Should be full of life and ready to go back to work. But it turns out self-care is very exhausting. Because <laughs> when, when the holiday runs its time, I'm always too tired to go back to work. It's like I need a holiday to recover from my holiday. I need self-care to recover from my self-care. I mean, something's not quite right. Self-care is never enough, it seems. Like sin, it always demands more. And I think there's an element of truth in self-care that makes it so appealing. Makes it so convincing. Makes it a poisonous mentality, but it's convincing. My wife says it's not about self-care. It is about soul care. Self-care conflicts because it is centered on you, while soul care is centered on God. And so how can you make this paradigm shift between self-care to soul care? It's very simple, but it's not easy. The solution is to be hard on yourself, but charitable on others. Verse 3, Paul says, Do nothing of selfishness or empty conceit. Paul tells us that the cause of discord and conflict 
is selfish ambition. People putting themselves first. People are guided by a desire for personal prestige, for empty glory. People are putting themselves first because they strive to be admired, to be respected, to have a platform seat, to have their opinions sought after, to be known by their name, to be listened to, to, be, to have a certain degree of fame, and to even be flattered for many People, they pursue those vain glories more than they pursue God. And so if your concern is with yourself this morning, foremost with your own interest, it's quite easy to see how two people that care intensely for themselves will collide with each other. When you're focused on yourself, you see other people as enemies or at best as opponents that need to be pushed out of your way to get what you want. Focusing on self inevitably means the elimination of others. And the aim of life becomes not to help others up, but to push them down. Our aim as Christians should not be such. Our aim is not self-glory, but the glory of our Father in heaven. When we do a good deed, we do it not so that men may glorify us, but we do it so that God in heaven may be glorified. The Christian desire is not to focus men's eyes upon us, but it's focused men's eyes upon God. And so how do we do this? We keep reading in verse 3, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. And so I thought about this. I've always wondered, what does it mean to consider others as more important than yourself? Do you have to think about them first? Do you, how, does that mean that I have to forget about myself? How do you practically live this out? You've probably heard people say, I'm tough on others because I'm tough on myself. But I don't see that anywhere in the Bible. What I do see in the Bible is this verse here that we just read. Is consider others as more important than yourself. And so what does that mean? I think if we were to rephrase this saying, we would see, I'm tough on myself, but uncharitable on others. Considering others as more important than yourself is being severe upon your own faults, but charitable in our judgment of others. It is to be quick in observing our own defects, our own sin, our own missteps, but ready to overlook and make favorable allowances even for those of others. And we continue reading in verse 4. Let each of you not only look at his own interests, but also the interest of others. We try to teach our kids that when you play a game, the goal is not to win, but the goal is to be invited again. We are social beings created to be in fellowship with others. Considering the interests of others above our own invites harmony and unity. There can be no genuine joy for the one who's guided by selfish ambition. And so I invite you this morning, rid yourself of this poisonous mentality of putting yourself first. And instead, pursue submissive humility to Christ. And this leads us to our second poisonous mentality, which is pride disguised as humility. As time progresses and our world, use the words evolve, boasting is too clear, it's too obvious. And so now, boasting is being hidden with the, a thin veil of humility, of false humility. And you, maybe some of you have heard this term, humble bragging. How many of you have heard this before? 
humble brag. Here's an example of humble bragging. I'm so tired of being the only person my boss will trust to train all the new members in the company. It must be so hard to be the best. <laughs> you know, instead of saying that this person is honored to be chosen to train new members, new team members, the person has to humble brag about how hard it is to be the best performer in the company. It's repulsive. People that use this complaint, this humble bragging to share their accomplishment are only fooling themselves. Everybody else sees right through it. Here's another example. Someone might say, I'm having a really tough challenge right now. I don't know if I should buy a BMW or a Lexus. <laughs> My life is so difficult. You guys don't understand. Can you tell me you're rich without telling me you're rich, basically, right? Like, this, this is, all you're trying to tell me is not that you're struggling, but is that you have a lot of money. That's what you're trying to say, and it's repulsive. You're hiding behind this complaint the fact that you're trying to share with me that you're rich. Pride disguised as humility is indeed repulsive. So why do people use it? In a very short, because people are selfish. This poisonous mentality is all about the self. And people who adopt this are not convincing anybody, but they, are, they think they're convincing people. And since they don't care how you're receiving what you're saying, if they're convinced, it's good enough for them because it's all about them. But they're not fooling anyone. And so what is the solution to humble bride? How can you protect yourself from falling into this trap? And I know you guys won't expect it, but submissive humility is the solution. Paul provides us with the best example of what submissive humility looks like in Jesus Christ. In verse 5, he says this, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Jesus Christ. The NASB has, Have this attitude in yourself, which, is, which was also in Jesus Christ. If our attitude is selfish, then our action will be divisive and destructive. But if our attitude is submissive humility, as Christ exemplified, there will be unity and harmony. And Paul tells us how this will happen in verse 6. Although he existed in the form of God, Jesus did not regard equality with God as a thing to be grasped. Jesus did not consider his equality with God as something to be selfishly held onto, but he thought of you first. He considered you before he considered his own comfort. His attitude was as unselfish concern for you, for others. Verse 7, Jesus emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. NASB says of a bond servant, of a slave he humbled himself, verse 8, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus willingly humbled himself that he might lift us up. And lifting others up is difficult, and sometimes it's even costly. Are you willing this morning to make sacrifices for others, even those that are more difficult to love? I've seen plenty of people willing to serve as long as the cost is low, as long as it doesn't cost them anything. But if there is a price to pay, suddenly they lose interest very rapidly. Jesus, the Bible says, became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. J.H. Howard says, ministry that costs nothing accomplishes nothing. If there is to be any blessing, there must also be some bleeding. 
There's a story of a missionary going to a religious festival in Brazil, and he, was, he would go from booth to booth, kind of examining the wares. And he saw a sign above a booth that read, Cheap Crosses. And he thought that is exactly the spirit of our world today. People are looking for cheap crosses. My Lord's cross was not cheap. Why should mine be? Pride disguised as humility destroys our likeness to Christ and our fellowship with each other. Submissive humility is not just about how much we're willing to take in terms of suffering, but it is also, and much more, how much we are willing to take in terms of suffering. But you know what I love about Jesus and about someone that does the suffering for Christ is that our sacrifice are never mentioned because it's not for us, but it is for Christ that we sacrifice, for the glory of God. The one who constantly talks about his sacrifices or her sacrifices is not of a humble mind. Verse 9, For this reason also God highly exalted Christ and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. And here we enter one of the greatest paradoxes of the Christian life, that the more we sacrifice, the more God blesses. And this is why submissive humility leads to genuine joy. The reality is that it's not possible to experience his joy without also sharing in Christ's suffering. But like I mentioned, when love is our motive, the sacrifice is never measured or mentioned. And this leads us to our third poisonous mentality that Paul exhorts us to avoid, which is fearing what men can do. And I've already mentioned that I'm not very good at following rules, and so you can imagine I did not have the best of times at basic training. By God's grace and divine intervention, I survived the longest three months of my life in Saint-Jean, in Quebec. And I remember waking up in the morning and, and we would have to get up very early sometimes for inspection. Inspection, would they, we would have to be ready at attention outside our room at 7.30 and our, the bathroom needs to not have a single hair, not have a drop of water, it needs to be completely dry everywhere. So we'd get up at 4.30, shave right away. And I don't know if it's because I'm French or what it is, but my facial hair grows extremely rapidly. And so as you're shaving at 4.30, 4.15, and then we go to attention and there's 60, there's 60 members on the platoon. And my room was at the very end of the hallway, the very last one. And so sometimes they wouldn't get to me until it was 8, 8.30. And I shaved now almost four hours. That's half a day. <laughs> I got a half a day full work before most people even started working. But So I'm standing there at attention and the sergeant comes to my face. And he says, Droy, did you shave this morning? I knew this is a trap. You don't answer the sergeant's question. You don't. So I stood there, looking in the abyss. And then he keeps pulling my leg, and he's like, did you use an electric razor? And this is so frowned upon at basic training. You don't use an electric razor. That's not very well received. It's an embarrassment. So I'm like, how dare he accuse me of using an electric razor? I wish I used an electric razor. I said, and I, I should have kept my mouth shut, but I opened my mouth and I said, no, sergeant. You calling me a liar? Oh, man, 
There we go. And you better don't answer. Don't say anything. Give me 20 push-ups for calling me a liar. So I do 20 push-ups. I get back up. Who told you to get back up? Oh, gosh. <laughs> Give me 20 more push-ups. I get back on the ground. Do 20 more push-ups. Permission to get up, surgeon. What are you doing on the ground? You're the only one on the ground. What are you doing in the push-up position? Everybody else is standing up. Why are you so stupid? You can never win. You can't. You just can't win. Just keep your mouth shut. You can't please man. And this leads us to one of the most challenging verses in this passage to interpret, to, to understand. Verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, begins, and then if we jump at the end here, work out your, your own salvation with fear and trembling. Trust me, I was fear and trembling. What does it mean to work out your own salvation? And what does it mean with fear and trembling? That seems to be in very direct contradiction with many other passages that are very clearly indicate that we are not saved by our work and that we should not be filled with fear. Every time God appears, He says, do not be afraid. So what does that mean to be saved through our work, to work out our salvation? So I thought maybe if I read the next verse, it will, it will, it will clear up things. Verse 13, for it is God... Who works both in you? So wait, is it me that works or is it God that works? Both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Now that's, there seems to be an, a, a clear contradiction here. Paul exhorts us as an Armenian to a, in addressing men, work out your salvation as if it depended on you. But then he prays as if he was a, a Calvinist in addressing God and feels no inconsistency in the two attitude. Paul makes no attempt even to reconcile divine sovereignty and man's free agency, but he boldly proclaims them both. And some commentator points out this contrast between what the Philippians are to do, which is to work out, and what Christ has done, what God's activity is, and they are encouraging that we are to work out what God in His divine grace has worked in. Sounds great. I love it. And this led Heiselman to say that nowhere is the paradox of divine omnipotence and human freedom in the New Testament more strikingly formulated than these verses. But then, as good as this sounds, and I don't disagree with it, but I don't know if this is really what Paul is referring to here. This whole time in the book of Philippians, Paul is talking to the church. He's talking to the corporate body. Why is he all of a sudden referring to personal salvation? Working work out. And so I wonder, this is another, I'll let you make your own decision on the interpretation but Paul is referring to here to the church life. And so when he says work at this matter until spiritual health of the community, diseased by strife and bad feeling, is restored. The word salvation here is soterial. And soterial is often used to mean eternal salvation, but it's not necessarily meaning eternal salvation. It is also used as good health. And there's another example in the book of Acts chapter 27 when Paul is in, finds himself in the shipwreck and people are wondering if they should eat the food or they should save the food. And Paul says, eat food that you may be kept in satiria, good health. And so it seems likely to me here that Paul is referring about salvation as the pursuit of healthy Christian 
community rather than personal, eternal salvation. So what Paul is saying, what Paul is encourages us to do here is that is to approach conflict with others with fear and trembling, not of what they will do to me, but of how my words and action can impact them. I am to consider them first before I consider myself. I have to think about their well-being before I consider my own. That my concern should not be about what others can do to me, which ultimately leads me to want to pursue control. If I'm afraid of what other people can do to me, then I want to control them. I want to put rules into place that will limit what they can do to me. And then you can see how this leads directly to legalism. But you should approach conflict with an attitude of humility, with fear and trembling and complete reliance on God for his strength in carrying your relationship towards joy, unity, and harmony. And so in conclusion, we can go back to verse 2 at the beginning of this passage when Paul says, complete my joy. Another translation says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, one mind. And so if you want to make your joy complete this morning, if you want to maintain the same love for your spouse, the same love for your family, for your church, you want to be united in spirit, intent on one purpose, then you have to avoid these three poisonous mentalities. Don't put yourself first. Rather, be filled with a submissive humility where you are hard on yourself and charitable on others. Do not disguise your pride as humility. Rather, be filled with a submissive humility for the benefit of others. And do not fear what men can do to you. Rather than asking, what can others do for me? Come into the relationship or the conflict by asking, what can I do for the benefit of others and to the glory of God? Paul reminds us today that disagreement are a clear indicator that there is indeed a spiritual problem. But this problem is not going to be solved with more rules or threats, which leads to legalism, but it is going to be solved when the hearts are made right before Christ and with each other. Paul recognizes that the source of conflict in relationships is selfishness, and the cause of selfishness is pride. And the cure is quite simple, but it's not easy. The cure is submissive humility. And so perhaps some of you are here this morning and your conscience is speaking to you that you have been living in a selfish matters, that you have put yourself before even considering others and more importantly, before considering what God had intended for you. And so if you want to make things right before God, please don't leave this building without coming and talking to me or talking to Christina. I would love to share with you how you can be made right before God, how you can enjoy and pursue genuine joy and peace that Christ gives. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And thank you for your example, Jesus, that you have given us a perfect example of what submissive humility is. And I pray, Lord, that you will 
change our hearts, that you will help us to consider others before ourselves, that we will approach the relationships in our life to give you glory and not to pursue our own selfish ambitions. We ask, Lord, for forgiveness for those times that we have pursued and that we continue to pursue our selfish desires. And we know that our selfish, our human nature is hard at work. And we pray, Lord, that you will forgive us. And we thank you that you forgive us, that you forgive those who come to you. That your sacrifice on the cross, Lord, is complete and perfect. And so we, we come at the cross. And we ask for forgiveness, and we know, Lord, that you heal the broken hearts here this morning. And we surrender it to you. And we pray, Lord, that you will empower us, that you will guide us to pursue and to act for the benefit of others and to the glory of God in everything we do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast from Duncan Pentecostal Church, located here in Duncan, British Columbia, on beautiful Vancouver Island. At DPC, we believe in teaching the whole Bible to build whole believers who can impact the whole world. For more information about us, find us online at www.duncanchurch.com or find us on Facebook and YouTube by searching Duncan Pentecostal Church. Have a great day.